Hello and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV and medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren, Salutations, and Daniel. Hey! Today we'll be discussing the season 2 finale, which is titled John Carter, MD. The episode aired on May 16th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Well, I'm really sorry to start us off on a somber note this week, but Value Jet Flight 592 crashes 10 minutes after taking off from Miami International Airport, killing all 110 people aboard. The crash was determined to be caused by a fire in the cargo hold as a result of improperly stored cargo. Going to sports from that one just feels wrong, but next up we have Sammy Sosa becomes the first Chicago Cubs player to hit two home runs in a single inning. And Twister, co-written by ER creator Michael Crichton, and his then-wife Anne-Marie Martin debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. Lizzie's life would never be the same. It's my favorite disaster movie by far. We watch it a lot in this house. I love it. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. (laughs) Yeah. And Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey is at the number one song for its second and final week. And this week we've got 34.3 million viewers tuning in. This week's episode is directed by Chris Chulak and written by John Wells. I think we should all be pretty familiar with those two at this point. And so the episode opens with a nice L shot and some real groovy music panning into the ambulance bay. And we see Doris the EMT bringing in one of the patients for the episode. And it shifts into a boombox on the admit desk, and Jerry and Susan are just kind of rocking out before Doris brings in the little old lady to be looked at. Susan goes off, and Chuni has Jerry turn the music up, and it's really cute. Chuni has a little dance moment with Malik and Connie, and it's just a precious little nurse bonding moment. This is a really good song, too. I forgot to. I, I want to get the name of it. I forgot what it is, though. It's, it's a really, really nice opening to this episode. Yeah, uh, but it rolls from there right over to, into Carrie and Mark still bargaining about Susan potentially being chief resident in exchange for Carrie getting the attending position next year. And in true Carrie fashion, she yells at the st- at Jerry to turn the music down while Malik is uh, jamming out. And then uh, Jerry eventually does turn it down and says, sorry, Dr. Weaver, they made me do it. Mark uh, believes he just sold his soul to the devil. <laughs> to try to get uh, Susan at the chief resident spot. So we then we cut over to uh, Doris explaining the little old lady case to Susan in one of the curtain areas. Apparently she was found running around Buckingham Fountain naked singing show tunes. Great. Uh, they, advised, they advised to keep her restrained or she might be, quote, busting out all over, which, yes, she will. Uh, <laughs> she's... Patient says her name is June Allison. She's clearly disoriented. Uh, Susan is pretty convinced that it's Alzheimer's and that, uh, quote, she belongs somewhere. She's too clean to be homeless. June here is played by an actress named Judith Molina, uh, who you may recognize from the Adams Family movie from uh, the early 90s, as well as the Al Pacino movie Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, She unfortunately passed away in 2015. Was she the grandma in Adams Family? Yes, she was. Yeah, she was. I've never seen that movie all the way through. It might be our age, our four-year age difference, but oh my god, those were my childhood. Yeah. Uh, And then from there, uh, we go to our first audio clip of the episode, a good old staff meeting. Who doesn't love it? I know, I know, but folks, if we can't control our office supplies, particularly paper expendables, then admin's going to come down here and control them for us. So please, tell your people, no unnecessary Xeroxing, okay? 
Okay? Thank you. All right. Next item. Uh, replacing Marty Cannon as an attending in the ER. He's done a great job for us. Thank you, Marty. Marty. But he's leaving for greener pastures at the University of Iowa. Godspeed. 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 As to a replacement, Kerry Weaver has everyone's vote except for Mark. You've been dragging your feet on this. You had a chance to kick this around? Come to your senses? I think Gary's a terrific choice. Oh. Well, that, that's great. So you no longer have any qualms about this. You'll be working together every day, week after week, pulling on the same oar, teammates, partners. Seriously, Mark, if you're not excited about this, I don't see how it can possibly work. I'm looking forward to it, really. Oh, that's great. That's great. Good. Well, case closed. Real convincing there, Mark. <laughs> Do you guys find it strange how he kind of asks Mark about his thoughts on Carrie? Because he kind of almost sounds like he wants to give Mark an out, like he's maybe not thinking it's a good idea. He does come off very shaky. It's hard to tell if that's that he is unconvinced about Carrie or if he's just surprised, like taken aback at how like what an about face Mark has done but fair it's a weird read yeah but i'm still enjoying having william h macy on the show i i do enjoy morgan stern when he shows up yeah do we do we remember when he leaves specifically an ant's boss or takes over his role i'm gonna guess season three yeah i think it is somewhere in season three and but he actually does get a, a like there's a there's a definitive like crossover like he leaves and ant's boss comes in like there's a a definitive reason for his egg. It's not like Hicks where he just falls off and disappears. So hmm. we miss you, CCH Pounder. So is she much. gone already? Yeah. No, she's not. Oh, she's not. Oh, okay. No, we have Jesus. her through, we have her through very, very, very early in season four. Oh, um, oh okay. I, I want to say, I want to say like episode one or two of season four is when we lose her. We just have not seen her in so long. We just that, saw her. Yeah. Like she definitely gets ago. more sporadic, but yes, it is more spread out. Yeah. We have not seen her consistently, there not as go. consistently as, as season one. Right. I miss Michael Ironside. Oh, we we all do. Little Wild Willie. Go watch Total Recall on Netflix, everyone. I just actually saw it for the first time. It's fucking amazing. And he's amazing. Or that other one, that Starship Troopers? Yeah, Starship Troopers. Yeah, just watch that. Either way. But also, can we talk about the really weird shaky cam style in this scene and how it's only in this scene? I didn't notice it. A little bit it. weird. No, it is. It's there for sure. Like it definitely doesn't match up with the rest of the episode. I wonder. It makes me wonder if they shot it as either they did it as a reshoot or if they just did it quickly. Like if they were running out of time and like if if it was pickups or something. Yeah, like it was just. It's it's definitely distinctly different from the normal look of things. Like the the lighting and stuff is right, but like Lizzie said, it's just more shaky. It's not as steady as it usually is. I was too busy staring at the different, like, food spreads they had on the table, and one of them looked like roast beef, and it was really freaking me out. All the bagels. Yeah, there's a bunch of bagels, bagels, on, um, on, like, beds of lettuce, and then, yeah, it looked like there was, like, meat cuts or something, and it was just very odd to have in a morning staff meeting. My favorite part of this is, uh, Doctor Exposition, where we get a doctor who's completely, like, fabricated out of thin air just so that we can have a doctor be leaving so that carrie can get a spot like oh yeah marty yes. we love marty marty yeah, remember marty we've met marty so many times we love marty Moo. marty's great and it's like who the fuck is marty who gives a shit like it's like just give it's her like, a job it's like there's an entire b cast of er that happens and like there's an entire um 
negaverse show of ER that we never got to see, and this is like the crossover that they did. Minus World ER. Yes. Jesus Christ. It's gonna be one of those episodes. So we go we go right out of the the staff meeting uh, to the front of Carol's house where Shep is fixing his real real piece of shit car in the driveway. He's supposed to be at his therapy appointment, which he is bailing on, and Carol kind of calls him out on it. And he uh, snaps back that she's starting to sound like Riley. Hey, we get a mention of Riley, even though he's never to be seen again. He kind of refuses to believe slash acknowledge that Carol lied for him because Carol is firmly starting to drift into the, like, now I feel bad for covering for you phase of things. Like, he's, uh, she's definitely no longer solidly in his camp. I definitely think you can see the cracks forming here. He is none too pleased with this revelation and just tosses his toolbox into the backseat and then drives away. So, and that takes us right into the intro with some more bangs. And out of the intro, we come over to Carter having a conversation with Benton about his graduation party. Yay, Carter, our, our little boy's growing up. <laughs> uh, he invites Benton to sort of stop by and meet everybody. And if he can't make the graduation, he can come to the cocktail party at six because, you know, Carter's family is rich motherfuckers. At the Drake, which is one of the most bougie and big hotels in Chicago. Which one is that? That's the one that's on um, Lakeshore, right as you hit that north end curve. Oh, the huge yeah. one as we're going south oh, into yeah, the city. Oh, yeah, on the S-curve into yeah, downtown. Okay, by Michigan yeah. Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where the tea room is. Ah, yes, the one that you were looking at. Yeah, that one. Anyway, us being bougie city folk over here, or at least <laughs> pretending to. <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> All right, Dr. You- Buslich. <laughs> Y'all agreed to have me on this. Oh, um, sometimes I wonder why, but Ben, uh, but Benton's basically just like, you, dude, you can stop trying to brown nose me. I've given you, I've I turned in your review. I've given you your grade. Everything is set in stone. We're we're done here, buddy. And Benton, he, Carter's just like, I'm not trying to brown nose you. He's so <laughs> earnest. I just can we please be best friends? But yeah, Carter's just so sad. And did you also did we also mention um the fact that Carter notes the mayor might be attending his oh, party? Oh yes. Well, I figured bougie rich motherfucker. I figured but... I figured that was covered in uh huh huh. huh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I figured I just, that I was wanted... an all encompassing noise to indicate that the mayor was going to be stopping by. Is that just going to be the Carter's rich noise from now? On? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> did we also catch here the mention of Carter's phantom sister? No, I caught it, but I didn't make anything of it. Yeah, as he's coming down the stairs, he's going over the the list of all the guests of who is going to be there and and who Benton will get to meet and one of the one of the ones that he happens to mention is uh, my sister is going to be there and this is the one and only time that Carter's sister is ever mentioned and when we get later on in the show's run that'll of course be retconned to he just has a brother who died as a child and of course a very problematic cousin so yes. um, yeah one and only mention of Carter's phantom sister she never even gets a name and at some point when he's naming off these relatives, it just starts to sound like the fucking Brady Bunch or the Waltons. Yeah, it's clearly, I mean, it's, yeah, there, there's nothing, there's no weight to any of these lines here. This is, because we don't see this party, we never meet any of these people. It, this was clearly just like an early draft of what Carter's extended family might look like. And they never anticipated that morons like us would be paying attention to all this crap almost 30 years later. I sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. <laughs> <laughs> but yep, then we go to Mark 
telling Carrie that she's got the attending position. And Carrie immediately starts asking him a bunch of different circumstances about the benefits and salary. And he's like, I don't know. I didn't negotiate. And she's like, okay, well, I'm sure there's wiggle room. And what about the 401k? Can we choose our own or do we have to do the hospitals? And it's clear Mark never negotiated or looked into any options when he was being hired. He was just like, great, I have a job. Like, he never... I feel like... Lauren would be Carrie in the situation and I would be Mark. No, 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 no. Okay, well, let, let's say this. 23-year-old me was, or 21-year-old me was very much Mark. 28-year-old me has learned and is very much Carrie. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very much team Mark here. As a typical millennial who's like, greatest fear is confrontation. The idea of negotiating my salary sounds like hell. So like, what if they decide they don't want to hire me now because I want more money? Guess I'm just going to take whatever they're offering me. Because Yeah, Sam, but, right? But Daniel, you're a, you're a straight white male. In America, you're fine. Cis straight white male. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm still like beta soy boy. Like, I will take whatever they're offering me. <laughs> Personal trainer beta soy boy. Yep, that's me. Uh, I appreciate you. But yeah, you so can it's... find this resume at Indeed.com. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's clear that there's just two very different ends of the spectrum here on, on how they're looking at this job. And then um, she's like, oh, have you ever read book 12 Steps to Great Management and whatever it's called? And she's like, you should really check it out sometime. I can lend you my copy. I've highlighted in the passages. I hope it doesn't bother you or is too distracting. Great. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Uh, or, and he goes, great. So we're clear that... um that Susan Lewis is going to get chief residency, right? She has your back, or you have her back on that. And she's like, no, I was thinking Linda Martin would be good. Mark, I'm kidding. Like, she says it so straight-faced, and we're like, wait, Carrie can make jokes? And then as as Carrie walks away, the nurses are like, you didn't. And they are so mad. You son of a bitch. Yeah, they're, they're it's, I think it's Malik, Lily, and Lydia. Mm-hmm. But they are furious. They're like, "You, what have you done? It's going to be the longest year ever. No, no, that's permanent. <laughs> oh, no. Hey. And we get our second uh, Dr. Exposition. Linda Martin. Who the fuck is that? Don't know. Never will. Isn't she the same name that they used last year? When they no. pulled this? Uh, that was, oh gosh. Now I'm trying to remember what her name was. I, it, I know it wasn't Linda Martin, but she was the one that was in competition with Carrie. Yeah, but we for, actually did see her for one. Right, we did see her name, Jane, I think. I can't remember what her last yes, name was, but right. her first name was Jane. But yeah, she was she was the one that was in competition for Carrie, with Carrie for chief resident last Jane year. Jane Pratt. Jane Pratt, there we are. Teamwork, gang. So we go from there to our next patient. It's a two-day-old baby brought in, not breathing, and cyanotic. He and his mother were released 12 hours after birth, which seems a little bit short. Lily pulls their file from upstairs uh, just to see what all happened with it. Carol is just livid that they were released so soon, at which point... Who is it that says... It's welcome to manage care is the line. I'm trying... Is it Green that says that? Yeah, it's Green. Yeah. Yeah. And we find out after Lily uh, goes through their file, we find out that County was the hospital that released them. And this sets up our other kind of B-plot through line for the episode of Carol just being fed up with the system. Just White Knight Carol. She really, she tries on Clooney's White Knight hat for sure. Because his White Knight spurs. (laughs) Cut over to a quick little thing. Uh, Jeannie is asking Trini to draw some blood for Jeannie's HIV test and... It, it seems amazing that everyone just knows her damn business about regarding Al's 
yeah. HIV status. Because, like, the way Chuni reacts to this when Jean, when Jean's like, can you draw some blood? Mine. She's like, oh, Al. And she's like, yeah, I've been putting it off. And it's like, how does everybody just know this? I mean, I feel like... Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like it's probably very true to life. I feel like that's one of those things that would get around. Fair. Just like Al. (laughs) (laughs) So then we have Carter. He goes up to check on the little girl, TC, from last episode. She's up in peds. And she's currently asleep. And he checks out her chart. And he's not happy with what he's seeing. And he sees the attending in peds doing rounds. So he interrupts to ask about TC's status. And TC's name, by the way, is Talia Lucas. That's the little girl's, like, full name, not just TC. Um, turns Yeah, turns out she isn't responding to antibiotics, and the doctor has moved her to the ICU and jumped her to status one on the waiting list because her, her condition's getting more severe. And the doctor's like, oh, you handled her down in the ER. You come talk to the parents with me. It's like, Carter's not part of this case at all anymore. This is not his responsibility. This is Ruby 2.0. It is now. So, yeah. But unlike Ruby, this one actually turns out well. So. Yeah, but I'm just saying it, it rings very, very familiar to the Ruby situation. And who's to say, too, that if he hadn't gone through the Ruby situation, that he wouldn't have treated this one similarly cavalier. You know, it could be that he's thinking about the Ruby situation here and mm-hmm. trying to be better. Growth. Uh, but we go from there back down to uh, the two-day-old baby, which uh, Doug has arrived to check in on. Always good to see Doug working with the little kids and kind of just showing showing his true colors and his true specialty. And once again, Carol is just over the top pissed about this whole situation, which again is going to be a through line throughout the rest of the episode. And uh, quick cuts back over to Carter and Dr. Davich is the, yes. the attending's name uh, in the ICU there. Talking to the parents and Dr. Davich keeps getting beeped, so he pawns off the explanation on what the whole UNOS procedure is. Uh, for getting a transplant uh, Don Carter. Let me go back down to the two-day-old baby. And Doug may have fixed the baby. Yay, it's stable. And Carol goes to tell the parents. Good boy, Doug. And then uh, Doug and Mark, after that, have a conversation about Carrie's attending position. So let's listen to that. DA's open, so he's still got a fighting chance. I'm going to go tell his parents. This is unbelievable. Now, there is an ugly, vicious rumor going around. Carrie Weaver. Don't start with me. So it's true. I don't know what everybody's so upset about. Carrie Weaver's not that bad. She's great. She grows on you. You've been hitting the Prozac again? You know, I got a call from a pharmacy on the north side looking for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gave a crude prescription for 100 Percodan. What? Yeah, Karen Hines, isn't that that redhead you've been seeing? Yeah, she's got a bad knee. 100? Pretty bad knee. She travels a lot, doesn't know when she's able to get them. Mark, I need you in there. Rule out MI. Someone's okay? Yeah, 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 but I told him you'd call. Yeah. It's always the redheads, I'm telling you. Rut-row. Hmm. Smells fishy to me. I think that's, like, arrestable felony. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a lot of uh, painkillers there. See, and I'm just wondering, like, because, like, whenever I've gotten a prescription for a controlled substance, like painkillers or clonopin or whatever, they always write, like, Okay, you get 30 pills, and they write the number. They, then they write out the spelling the word. of 30. Yeah. The word 30. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't think of that for a second. But, yeah, so I'm just wondering, like, I'm, I guess that might not have been procedure in 1995. Maybe that's why it became procedure. 1996, excuse me. But, yeah. Shit like this, people messing with their prescriptions. 
Doug even says that there's already some security measures. Well, he says that later in the episode, but it's just a curiosity thing. Oh, it's going to get more awkward here, gang. So Al and Jeannie. Al catches Jeannie in the hallway and tells her how his, um, how his appointment went with his specialist. And he has a giant folder of papers, and he just looks like a deer caught in the headlights. And he is just going on and on and on about how this appointment went. And as he's talking about stuff and asking her questions, Jeannie just looks so pained and stressed out about her own situation. And at one point, Al goes, you know, and he even... He even gave me these, and he holds up, like, a packet of condoms. Maybe, like, five, like, condoms and everything. And he goes, kind of seems like the horse is out of the barn on that one. And Gloria Rubin's delivery to this response is just amazing. She is just ice, and she's like, that's not funny. And then Al goes on to say he could have been positive for as long as 10 years, and he has to make a list of his sexual partners. And he has the decency to act, like, a little bit abashed about this. And Jeannie goes, oh, well, that's going to be quite a list. And Al's like, well, it's not much to be proud of now. And Jeannie's just ice cold. Wasn't much to be proud of then. You go, Jeannie. Mm. Mm. Yeah, this is high-key my favorite Gloria Rubin episode so far. Yep. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. But we go from there to, uh, once again, again, theme of the episode, Carol complaining about the baby getting let out. Like, she just will not let this one go. Uh, And you have Carrie and Susan chiming in here, discussing kind of the pros and cons of the whole situation. And as they are doing that, June, the uh, little old lady from beginning of the episode, is finally busting out all over. She is walking naked, uh, dancing around, I should say, naked out by the ambulance bay doors, singing June is busting out all over. And oh boy, June that prime is... time side boob. It gets stuck in my head so fast. <sighs> yeah, it's it's haunting. Susan No, asks, I meant the song, not her boob. <laughs> <laughs> me and Malik are on the same team. <laughs> like me and Malik are both just like, oh boy. Like, because Susan asked Malik to help get her wrangled back over to a gurney. And Malik, it just looks like he would rather do anything else in the world as he just kind of meekly lets out like, do I have to? Susan says, yeah. So as she dances away, a gurney kind of rolls by ever so conveniently right on time to cover up her butt. I'm team naked old ladies. Let them do what they want. Sure. Uh, And then, you know, speaking of rich, rich, weird motherfuckers like we were doing earlier. uh, (laughs) I've used Lich. Do you need me to do the thing again? What? (laughs) Uh, Benton holds the elevator as Vuselich calls out for it. And then they have a conversation. Dr. Benton. Dr. Vuselich. Congratulations on being named resident of the year. Thank you. I understand you were instrumental in my selection. Well, I merely expressed my opinion. Glad that others concurred. I read your aortic aneurysm study. Yes, well, it's been extremely well received. Drug companies, please. They granted the hospital over $3 million for phase four trials, additional research facilities. You know, I, um... I couldn't help but notice the uh, inclusion of the negative outcome patients that we discussed. Mm. It seemed a prudent course, given the circumstances. 
They weren't, however, statistically significant in the final analysis. Well, I was glad to see them there anyway. Yes, I'm sure you were. Can I just punch this man in the face? <laughs> statistically significant. Statistically significant. He is a smug son of a bitch, isn't he? And also, I need to note, I know this was due to framing for, like, how they had to do the elevator shot. But in reality, those uh, those hospital elevators are huge. You do not have to be standing right next to each other. You're clearly nemeses. Step away. Yeah, I almost feel like it might have been better served by having it be a front-facing wide shot. And, like, Peter's in the elevator waiting for it to go down with the guy with the monitor in the middle. And then Vuselich is like, hold the door, and he comes in. And then we get to see, as they're going down, we get to see, like, the three shot of the three of them yeah. from the front. And then the guy walks out towards the camera, and then they kind of, like, go at each other without even having to look at each other. Like, they could have had that whole scene without even making eye contact. Or even a hallway confrontation, but, like, not confrontation, but even them running into each other in the hallway yeah. may have been better served than... The framing is definitely odd. Yeah, this is our uh, our last appearance of Vuselich. Uh, he walks out of that elevator and then is never seen or heard from again. So I guess, would this categorize as a Bob, do you think? Like, do we get I... sufficient enough resolution of his story? Because I'll say, for me personally, like, I remembered this very differently. Like, I remembered there being a, a more concrete resolution to the Vuselich story that involved him disappearing and... I was sort of shocked to see how much of a hanging thread it kind of is. I don't know. I think it's wrapped up pretty, pretty nicely. I think like, it's better than Bob, where she's just sure. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's always yeah. going to be there's always going to be varying degrees of Bob's, but it's just the fact that we never get like a dis- definitive like he has left the hospital or like a reason why we never see him again because he no. just disappears and we never see him. I again. mean, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty easy to assume that he's just off continuing to do his research in another. Wing. Department, yeah, another sure. department in the hospital, and but he walks out of that elevator and out of our lives. Yeah, yes, off to bye, bitch. Off to snort caviar and do whatever else, whatever other weird shit it is rich people do. Uh, and then after after that, uh, we go to uh, Jerry eating a giant chili cheese dog as Carter walks up in a Hugo Boss suit. That's what the, That's brand-, the brand is. Okay, yeah, he's like, I was like, Armani, and Carter goes, "No, it's Hugo Boss." <laughs> So many rich motherfuckers in this episode. TC's parents called five times with questions after he spent an hour answering their questions upstairs. And uh, he's in a rush because his dad hates when he's late and he's trying to get to his fancy party. And uh, after uh, when he's on his way out there, when he's on his way, um, is he on his way up to the parents? I think he's... He's trying to get out the door. They, I think he's supposed to be going yeah. to lunch with his parents before the graduation ceremony. So uh, he's yes. trying to get out the no. door. No, because he says, oh, I have a half hour and I'm going to be late. I think he's headed to graduation. I feel like none of this matters. <laughs> I feel like Either that's way. what the show is for, Daniel. Yeah, I know, but yeah, I'm just saying the, the material of it is that he talks to Morgan Stern. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. The important part is, yeah, is that he, ha- he talks to Morgan Stern next, who offers him the spot. And apparently there's a red team and a blue team for surgical interns next year. So interns, ER, residents. Halo. I think so. Yeah. But basically doing uh, plastics, vascular, fancier, more technical specialties. And Dr. Benton is leading the blue team, which is more like ER, uh, general surgery. The one that stuck out to me was proctology. Yeah, the meat and potatoes type of of stuff. And uh, Morgan Stroffer's Carter spot on the red team, which is more second and third year. So it's a, you know, 
uh, Morgan Stern calls Carter the, their homegrown prodigy, which I didn't realize he was a prodigy, but <laughs> I didn't realize that's how you could term Carter. But Carter sort of hesitates and then accept the sp- accepts the spot on the red team under Dr. Langdon. But then we have Mark quick telling Susan, Weaver says she'll support you for chief. And this is a quick hallway walk and talk. And Susan replies, right, we should talk about that. But then they get cut off by Jerry interrupting, saying, oh, uh, Jenna's here and she's, and, you know, she's mad that you're late, Mark, for lunch. You better go. And Mark's like, all right, well, we'll get let- together later to celebrate. All right, Susan? And then runs off. So clearly they're having good best friend communication. And then we follow Susan in with her next patient, a guy with a persistent cough, Mr. Brannigan. He's a, I think, construction worker, as well as a smoker, a couple of packs a day. He's been coughing for a few months uh, and coughing up some blood as well. And Mr. Brannigan is played by an actor named William Lucking, who you may recognize. He had a long-running role on Sons of Anarchy, as well as a semi-recurring role, but as different characters. So I'm guessing is probably like a background character or like a, uh, like a cop background character it seemed like a lot of them were cops on uh, murder she wrote uh he was also in the uh hannibal lecter sequel red dragon which isn't as terrible as everybody thinks but isn't great yeah i don't remember a whole lot about it i know i know Han- i remember hannibal being really bad but red dragon i remember less about so it must be less bad i still need to check out the nbc hannibal series I everyone watch, keeps raving about that i will that. watch that with you is hannibal the movie the one where ray liotta's brain gets eaten mm-hmm. okay. by ray liotta yes <laughs> yes okay e- eats his own brain yes yeah i don't remember too much about red dragon but i remember hannibal much more all right moving on then <laughs> um so then we get mark and jen at lunch and mark's like oh sorry i'm late and jen not missing a chance to be passive aggressive goes like old times and I noticed here, this might just be me noticing things that don't matter because it's me, um, but they have her makeup contouring looking really harsh and just very drastic colors to make her, I think, almost look bitchier. I wouldn't be surprised. They, her, they, wouldn't, they want her to be really unsympathetic for this sequence. We, we're supposed to feel bad for Mark because Mark's like, oh, can I have that? Can I finish your food? And she's like, yeah, you know, this this place should close down. It's terrible. The food's disgusting. And Mark's like, oh, it's a gold mine for the hospital with food poisoning and everything. And then she goes, oh, well, Craig and I are getting married in September. You and I just slept together like three episodes ago, but Craig and I are getting married. And she's like, I wanted you to find out from me, not from Rachel. And Mark's crushed that Rachel knows. And he's like, oh, well, you should, you should wear something... Um, a little non-traditional, maybe something in red. Whew. So I think like Scarlet Letter, calling her a whore. Yeah, that was um, not great. No, and then she gets up to leave, kisses him on the head, and goes, "You should have kept the goatee; made you look dangerous." No, it did not. See, this is how you. This is how you know she's a terrible person because <laughs> she likes the go the goatee. Yeah. Uh, no, it did not. Dangerous in the sense of, like, maybe he looks like a sex offender, but... uh, I don't hate the goatee. It's not great, but I don't hate it. That is a choice. It is a choice. (laughs) I choose not to hate the goatee. (sighs) I was so, like, I was so, like ready to when i looked up the cast notes for this episode i was so ready to mark down much like we did with chloe before like i was much so ready to to mark down that like hey this is our last appearance of jen for like six years no she'll be (laughs) she'll be back like early next season and i'm like oh god like i'm just i'm ready for her to go away but 
So we go from there to uh, Doug, who is waiting outside of the hotel for Karen. Uh, she walks out in a very stunning red dress, or red outfit, I guess. It may, might not be a dress, uh, but it's very, like, very distinctly red. Uh, he kind of confronts her about the Percodan, says that the prescription was for 10, not 100, asks point blank if she changed it to 100 because he can easily go check his carbon copy on the prescription pad to find out. And uh, she takes none too kindly to this and throws the bottle at him and says, count them, boyfriend, they're all there. And this, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the last we see of Karen. We don't really get much resolution on this. We get She's mentioned a, a couple more times by Doug talking to Mark, but uh, this is the last time we actually see her. Can I tell you, I really look forward because I need to note to our um, to our audience a little bit more about how the sausage is made. Daniel adds his little tidbits after uh, the bulk of the notes are done. So these little by Karens, <laughs> we don't see them until it's time to record, which means they're always such a lovely surprise for us when we get to these. And I'm looking through and I see by Karen. Like, it, I just get so, it's like just a little... <laughs> little chef's kiss every yeah. time I read our notes and when I see what Daniel's added. It's so great. And then sometimes he keeps secrets from us and doesn't tell us until sometimes you gotta keep a little time mystery to big alive. reveals. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, how do we feel that she's gone? I'm okay with it. Yeah. I thought she was fine. She wasn't like my favorite character. She wasn't it was, the worst character. It was a weird relationship. I don't know what it did for Doug. I don't know what it did for his character. Yeah, to me it felt like a weird sidestep to the Doug and his dad storyline that really felt like it got cut off at the knees. You know, I feel, and I feel like her as a character was very like on the level of like Diane Leeds from season one, where uh, it sucks for him personally that another relationship failed, but like, I didn't feel anything when she left. I was just like, okay, guess we're done with that. Like, and, and she also just showed up, like at least Diane Leeds showed up like halfway through season one and stuck around a while. But, like, she's only been here, like, five episodes, so it it was hard to develop any sort of, like, affection for her as a character. And it just, to me, she just symbolizes the, you know, unfulfilled potential of the Doug and his dad storyline that, for whatever reason, they just cut bait on, I think, far too quickly. Uh, and then after that, we go over to Susan. Uh, she returns to Mr. Brannigan. I keep thinking, like, Zap Brannigan in my brain. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's not your fault. It's their fault for naming the character on Futurama after this after after this specific person. I'm sure. On this specific episode of ER. This was the source material. Exactly. I was about to do an impression and I was just like, don't, I cannot just do don't. it. <laughs> Move us forward. Uh, but she gives him the potential cancer diagnosis that can't be confirmed without more tests, but he can't afford the test because he doesn't have insurance. The system doesn't work. No. It gets better. He doesn't qualify for Medicaid and Susan and Carol try to convince him to stay, but they are unsuccessful too broke for insurance too rich for medicaid yep add in an, there add another brick to carol's white night wall Ugh. and then we have lydia tells mark that loretta is back because she is concerned about her surgery that's coming up and then we go into carol full white night mode about mr brannigan leaving getting in susan's face about it and susan's like what are we arguing about we both agree it was a shitty thing i tried to get him to stay he left ama like what do you want me to do yeah. Carol's just up on everybody today. Uh, and then we we have our next audio clip for you. Mark is going outside to talk to Loretta as she's having a, having a cigarette. And you know we just we just don't have enough Loretta in our lives, and unfortunately, and again, uh, thumbs down on us. Thank you, listener, who told us she was not just a one off. <laughs> I can't believe we forgot about this arc. Uh, so thank you, listeners, who correct us when we're wrong. So let's bring that arc to a close. 
What are you doing out here? Oh, just enjoying the fresh air and the sunshine. Last few months, whenever I can, I like to get outside. It's about time you gave those up. <sighs> My last vice. So they sent you home yesterday? Yeah. I don't think I was ready. Been able to eat anything? I haven't been able to keep anything down. How are the kids? Hell on wheels. I wanted to ask you something. Shoot. I was wondering if you'd be guardian to my kids. Not that anything bad's ever gonna happen to me. It's just that they don't have anybody. My folks are dead. They like you. I know it's a lot to ask, but they're really good kids. What about their father? Fathers, plural. Good luck. I never could quite figure that one out. You don't have to answer now. I have time. At least a little bit, I think. I'm honored you'd ask. But you can't. No, I can't. I'm sorry. Besides, you're gonna make it? That's not a big ask or anything, Loretta. No. I think it's sweet, though, that she thinks so highly of Mark, but, like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, what, what's he supposed to say to I that? Mean, I mean, you gotta say, you're, she's a single mother potentially facing her own mortality. You know? Yeah, she probably doesn't have a lot of options. Yeah. I think she would rather at least ask rather than being like, oh, they'll be fine. They'll get put in foster care if something happens to me. Couldn't hurt to ask. Shoot your shot. Exactly. Especially when it comes to the welfare of your children. Now Lizzo's stuck in my head. I haven't <laughs> listened to that song in probably two months, and now it's back in my head and I need to listen to it. Hey, 2020! Don't be sorry about Lizzo. She's great. Yeah, so this is our continuing the theme. You know, this is the end of the season. We're wrapping up here. Uh, this is our last appearance of Loretta. And, you know, we don't know for sure. I don't think there's ever any verbal resolution to her story outside of this through mark or whatever but you know i can't imagine that this story probably had a happy ending so it sucks anakin skywalker gets adopted and goes to live with a space hobo yeah that's true why do all of his stories end up with his mother dying and then him presumably going on a murderous rampage is that what happens in the sequel to jingle all the way you'd have to ask you'd have to ask arnold i'm not sure or larry the cable Um, guy who i'm sure would probably be in jingle all the way too yeah pay the that i'm sure that check is cashed just as much as the first one (laughs) yep um but then we have carter goes back to check on tc we find out her parents went to get something to eat so he he goes to leave her so he can make graduation in a half hour okay this is where he says he's got to leave for sure and she waylays that by talking about how sick everyone in the icu looks and that carter's like well they move you up here so they can really work on you and you can get better and she says oh the boy next door didn't get better and she's having kind of survivor's guilt about the idea of someone having having to have something bad happen so she can get a liver. And here is where we see Dr. Carter really start to come out. He's staying and straightforwardly answering this child's questions instead of rushing out the door and kind of sweeping it under the rug. Um, and he just kind of says, unfortunately, something bad is always happening to someone somewhere. Like, it's not going to be your fault if someone makes a liver available. It's just kind of the way it is. And he offers to stay with her until her parents come back. A little boy's growing up right before our very eyes. 
And just hearkening uh, back to an earlier joke, uh, there actually is a jingle all the way to, and it actually stars Larry the Cable <laughs> hey, Guy. Hey, do I know my hey. sequel, my direct-to-DVD sequels or what? <laughs> oh. Totally didn't know that either. Pulled that right out of thin air. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for doing the legwork on that, because I never was going to look for that. So, Lizzie, I have to tell you, Lizzie started laughing while I was in the middle of that note read, and I had to put a finger up to finish <laughs> and then look at their phone. <laughs> It was like, I can't break this streak. I'm doing real well. That's amazing. Mm. So we, Recording in the same room gives its challenges. It really, you know, I, I feel for you. We can't all do it from inside of a closet. So, so we go from Fine. there down to the nurse's lounge, or, or the, the lounge, rather, uh, where the nurses are complaining about Linda Martin as the choice for chief resident, according to the memo that is up on the bulletin board, and they're just giving Mark all kinds of shit for it. Um Apparently, whoever this Linda who is our third Doctor Exposition of this episode, by the way, another one that we will see and never actually, or, or that we will hear about but never actually see, and he's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, And they're all just like really, really vehemently against this person as a, like she gets called a bitch like three different, by three different people, um, which is really not great, but Mark is confused about all this based on all the conversations that he's had with Carrie up until now. Uh, he rips the memo down off the wall and goes off to, in a huff to confront Carrie about it, finds her in the trauma room and um, immediately like starts, you know, what the hell is this? And she's literally in the middle of working on somebody and she's just like, talk, like just tries to talk to him about the trauma rather than just tries to avoid the whole question. And then when he insists on it, she's like, yeah, well, I offered it to her and she turned it down. So whoops. That adds a whole new wrinkle to things. And hey, Mark, did you ever ask your BFF if she actually wanted this job or you just assumed? Yeah, I love the. I just the nurses are peak sass in this episode and I'm so here for all of them. And uh, after that, continuing on the uh, Glory Rubin powerhouse episode that we got going on, uh, we have some audio of Jeannie confronting Peter regarding her potential HIV status. Hey, Peter. Hey. Got a minute? Sure. Al's got AIDS. Hi. Connie, uh, give us a moment, will you? I'm just after some coffee. Yeah, I'll bring you a cup in a few minutes, all right? Sugar. Cream, no sugar. I got tested today, but I don't have the results. I know what you're thinking, because I was where you are now a few days ago. You want to feel concerned for me, but you're wondering what about me? Al and I barely had sex, much less a marriage these last few years. You and I were careful, but not that careful. I get tested, I'm sorry. It's worth pointing out here that the entire time that she's talking after Connie leaves, Peter just looks like a bomb was just dropped on him. Yeah. Manages, yeah, was. manages to do a lot of uh, emotional legwork without actually having to speak. Like it's just written all over his face, and it's like, yeah, it's mm. cutting back. It's coming from Jeannie to Peter, from Jeannie to Peter, the entire scene. How do we think? Um, how do we think of Jeannie's delivery for this? Beautiful. Yeah, she perfect. is acting. I know. Look, as Daniel likes to say, she is acting her ass off. Amen. Yep. So I guess we find out what happens with both of them, season three. 
Yeah, because I think that's the, that's the last bit of it for this yeah, episode. That's the last a little cliffhanger. Yep. So then we have EMT Doris brings in a girl who crashed her bike. The girl's name is Monique. And Carol just <laughs> applauds her for wearing her helmet. Very sweet. And Wendy's asking, like, can I get your phone number so I can call your parents and let them know you're here? And Monique's just like, my sister's going to kill me. And I think it's Carol who goes, no, your sister will just be very happy that you're okay. So we come back to her in a little bit. Nothing too severe. Her leg's just a little messed up. But we'll see what happens with her in a, in a shortly. And then we cut over to graduation where Morgan Stern is calling the graduating students' names. And Dr. John Truman Carter is not present when his name is called. And Morgan Stern goes, well, I think Dr. Carter must have found a facial laceration to practice Z-plasty on. Uh, pinkies out monocles on sets sets the diploma holder aside and moves on can somebody who and this i'm speaking to the listeners now can somebody who understands the like structure of a medical school explain to me why morgan stern is the one conducting graduation like it seems to me like the hospital and the medical school should be two separate things and that the hospital is just where carter is doing his residency and not, that is a very good point. Like, I don't understand why Morgan Stern is the one conducting graduation. But maybe I'm wrong. No, that, maybe maybe there is some, like, you know, overlap between those two entities that it makes sense. Like, if you've gone through medical school, was the guy who was in charge of your residency also conducting your graduation? Please let me know. At me. But uh, what Carter's actually doing is uh, he's still up in the ICU with TC and playing a card game. I think it, it looks like they're playing War. from I haven't played War in decades i I love war (laughs) nobody clipped that up (laughs) (laughs) oh fuck she loves the card game war mr black (laughs) jesus christ um but tc's parents show up and thank carter for staying and they're like oh i hope you didn't have to be anywhere and just takes a nice look at us watching goes nope not anymore and god damn it i love this i love carter yes god damn it i love this carter I love uh, good ladies, empathetic ladies patient Carter. We got him, Doctor yeah. Carter. No, no more baby Carter. I don't think so. I think baby Carter is finally like absolved. Like I think we've baby Carter. Baby Carter died with Ruby's wife. He's he's moved up. Like he's evolved into his next Pokemon evolution. Like, yeah. To be fair, he tried to he tried to be like the oh no I gotta go I can't pay attention to you earlier in the episode but. Yeah. TC didn't let him. <laughs> Sorry, I, I forget. I would have mentioned that earlier, but I was distracted by Larry the Cable Guy starring in Jingle All the Way too. <laughs> I'm still so happy that I pulled that out. Like you've made my night with that. That I managed to pull that out of thin air. I love that. You know, you're welcome. I I, I live to to make people's lives more enjoyable. <laughs> So we go from there back down to the trauma room uh, with Monique and we find out that Mark has to have her move to another hospital per her insurance company's request. Uh, They want her moved for, you know, financial reasons, I'm sure. And this is just the last straw in Carol's White Knight crusade this episode. She is over the moon pissed about this. Mark has to like try to put her in her place with it where he's like listen I'm the doctor like so basically what I say because she's basically like you're the doctor you do whatever like you can do whatever you want and he's like you're right I am the doctor and we're gonna do what I said we're gonna do and so Carol in a fit of self-righteousness is just like you know what I quit and runs into the lounge and starts packing up all her things and leaves and other than a little bit of like 
exposition with Shep that we'll get to in a couple of minutes. We also leave this on sort of a semi cliffhanger too. Like as the episode closes, we're essentially left to believe that Carol has quit and won't uh, ostensibly won't be returning. I just need to point out Mark's little I am the doctor outburst. It made me laugh so hard and it made me realize I need to catch up on Doctor Who. (laughs) That's where I went with it when he said it. That would definitely be something you would pick up on and not me. (laughs) As someone who's not watched one frame of that show. We can't all be perfect. Patreon.com. Just last time the Tone Podcast. New new $200 tier. Make make Daniel watch Doctor Who. It's going to take more than that. So all of our side shows so far are Mad Men. Yeah, someone keep track, Doctor Who. Those are the two big ones right now. Mad Men will be first and then Doctor Who. Doctor Who would have to be like $1,000 because that show is so long. We'll get there. Yeah. We're, anyway, we're, we're getting off We're getting off topic here. Uh, it's let's, the end of the season. Let's party. Exactly. Woo. Let's uh, senioritis for season two. Um, let's, but let's bring it back. Uh, we got our next audio. Benton, understandably looking pretty, looking like he's reeling from the news from they got from Jeannie a few minutes ago, uh, sitting on the floor of the dark trauma room by himself, and uh, Carter happens by. You okay, Dr. Ben? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Have you seen Dr. Morgenstern? He left a message for me saying he wanted to talk to me. He started a ruptured appendix about a half hour ago. I'll catch up to him tomorrow. Hey, how was your cocktail party? I missed it. You missed your own party? Yeah. My parents had a good time anyway. It was mostly their friends. I missed my graduation, too. Oh, really? Yeah. You missed yours, right? What were you doing? An emergency hemorrhoidectomy. What were you doing? I was playing cards with a scared little kid. TC, that little girl with liver failure. They moved her up to status one. I was just keeping her company while her folks talked to the doctor. (laughs) Now you're the doctor. You graduated, right? Yeah, that's right, I am. It's kind of weird. I, uh, I don't know any more than I knew this morning. Really wanted to graduate too. Well. Take care of yourself, Carter. Oh, they're just they're so great. I love how much their relationship grows. And the fact that Benton does this, like, right after he's just gotten the most crushing news of his, like, not crushing news of his life, but after he's gotten some potentially life-changing news, to be able to 360 or 180 it and just be there for Carter. I think think you could qualify that as maybe the the biggest, like, significant possible news of his life. Like, certainly could be a contender for the worst news of his life. Yeah, since his mom's already dead, I guess yeah, this can come in a close second. Yeah, Ugh. but yeah, no, I this is this is sweet. Like it's just a, it's a very sweet moment between the two of them, and I'm also very happy with the growth of their relationship, which I feel like has really picked up speed in the second half of season two. Like I feel like we've really done a lot of work building that relationship in the second half of this season. And I'm here for it every step of the way. 
Yep, it's going to lead to some very, very interesting stuff in the middle middle run of the show. From there, we have Susan working on her charts in what looks like the radiology room, and Mark comes in with some very 90s fitting flannel clothing, like flannel <laughs> shirt and jeans, um, and he asks her about why she turned down chief resident, and he tells Susan, like, oh my god, I had to agree to make Carrie attending to get you that, and she's like, I didn't ask you to do that, and he's like, you're right, you didn't. But she just goes on to say, like, you know, all my life I've done what everybody else has expected of me. And I had something with little Susie and now it's gone and I've realized what I have left just isn't enough. Like, work's just not enough for her anymore. She's seen what else a fulfilling life can be. Hmm. I wonder what that means for Susan in season three. Yeah, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find out. But for now, we will head over to Carol getting home after she quit. And uh, Shep is waiting for her. Waiting for you. You don't have your keys? Why are you still wearing your scrubs? I quit. You're kidding. Nah, to hell with them. You can't quit. You're great at it. I'm sick of it. They kept cutting back my shifts, making me work more nights. I'll make more doing home care per diem. You're never going to see that shrink, are you? Uh, why couldn't we just keep going the way we were? I was happy. Weren't you happy? Things change. It's not my fault, it's not your fault. Raul died. It's a terrible thing. But something happened to you, Shep. You know it's true. And you gotta deal with it doing okay. No, you're not. I can't do this, Shep. I have finally gotten my life together. It's taken me a long time. You need help. I love you, but you need help. And if you can't get it together to get that help, I can't be with you. I can't. Dump his ass. Yep. You deserve better, Carol fight for what you deserve like yeah it sucks when you love somebody and they're not taking care of themselves but after a certain point you have to look out what's best for you she already been through that shit she doesn't need to go through it again and honestly the version of himself when he is taking care of himself also happens to suck so it's like nothing of value is lost but now he's mega suck yeah i was say it takes it to another level when he's neglecting his mental health it sure does so then we go from there to um Mark and Doug walking down the street, commiserating. Uh, Mark telling Doug about Jen getting married and how he's bitter about it. And he's like, I always thought I would be the one to get married for remarried first or at least be living with somebody. He's like, she's planning a guest list and I'm still fumbling around pickup lines in singles bars. 
And then we get this lovely bit of Doug just like shitting on Jen for Margaret Bounty. He's like, oh, I never liked her. Like she was controlling and manipulative and like all these, just all these like list of grievances he's ever had. Like what you're supposed to do as a guy friend, like, or as, as any friend really. I mean, I would imagine that it's probably similar for women too when your girlfriend dumps their partner you immediately just to make them feel better are like yeah they sucked anyway fuck them it's the friend thing to do and then we switch over with Kara or uh, talking about Karen that whole situation and he's like do you think she actually do you think she's telling the truth or do you think she's lying and Doug's just sort of not sure about it he's he's like get away from her Doug she sounds like she's trouble and I'm pretty sure that's the last we ever hear about Karen by season three she's a distant memory so that's kind of what we end off on with that uh, that whole storyline then let's wrap up season two shall we God, that's next week well, okay okay let's let's finish off the, the episodes this for... episode talking about this episode talking about the last episode of season two gang we've knocked out two seasons in under a year that's awesome yeah go team <sighs> But you want to give us our last sound clip for season two? I'll say for our for our fi- the final scene of season two of ER, uh, we have Carter talk- finally catching up with Morgan Stern and bleeding into a couple more sweet moments after afterwards. So let's listen. Let's listen in. Doctor Morgan Stern, you were looking for me? Yeah, we missed you at graduation. Where were you? With a patient. How was the ceremony? Ah, oh, one of the best we've had in years. Pomp, circumstance, all the trimmings. If you will excuse me, it's very late, and I'm finally on my way home. Hey, I was wondering if it's too late to change my choice for surgical team next year. I was hoping to sign up for the blue team. Once you switch your selection, there's no going back. Yes, sir, I know. I was still hoping for the blue team. I'm sure Dr. Benton will be very pleased to have you on his team. See you in a few months. Right. Thanks. Hey, Carter. Dr. Benton left something down here for you. What do you call the person who graduates last in their class from medical school? What? Doctor. Hey, what are you still doing here? Oh, just hanging out. What? Want to try out that new wide coat? MVA. Drunk driver hit a carload of kids on the way to the prom. The units are just pulling in. Sure. 17-year-old male, head trauma, GCSA, BP, 120 over 60, pulse 60, probable fractures of the left femur, right to fifth. Dr. Carter! Okay, trauma two. Notify the OR and see who's on call for ortho. Dr. Carter! We've got three more on the scene. Got a pickup came up the off-ramp on the Kennedy Cliff. Everything just feels right in the world. I love how the season bookends. It does such a good job with Welcome Back Carter into jo- John Carter, MD. Yeah, just about everything with that whole scene is perfect. Like It's so good. The music is perfect. The the weaving of different, you know, as he's interacting with different people is perfect. Like, it's just all just... Mm. Perfection. We see e- we see e- Ray at the admit desk. Who is- he doesn't say anything, but we see him. It, yeah, no, he says he he tells him that Benton left that package. Oh, for is that him. is that you read? Yeah, that's yeah, that's my bad. And he's he's in a, inexplicably dressed like he's auditioning for Sergeant Pepper. Like I don't know because he's E Ray. I don't know what this outfit is that E Ray is wearing. Like it's very strange. I just I love every part of this. Like it's it's, it's such so a 
such a perfect note to end season two on and i like that and again it is i'm the king of reading too much into things but i do feel like there's a nice little rhyme with um what would eventually be the series finale here where carter gets to end the series end the last episode of the series with there's a similar type situation of trauma is coming in now granted i think she's just starting out as a medical student at that point she's not full-fledged doctor but he gets to like invite Rachel to come along to work on this trauma and it's a similar type thing where like Susan's walking off to go do the trauma and then she calls back to Carter like hey are you coming it's a similar type thing in the series finale where Carter's running off to go do this trauma and calls back for Rachel so it's I think it's a nice little rhyme with the series finale yeah I didn't I didn't actually even ever think of that that's actually really nice to really nice to think about nice little touch yeah so come to this <laughs> this is this is uh this is i can i can easily slot this in one with my uh with my s tier episodes yep it's pretty good very easily yep it was it was a solid one i enjoyed watching it both times we watched it this week yeah we watched it we watched it twice just because we wanted to watch the finale just because it was the second highest rated one on imdb so it's mm-hmm. like we always we can you're gen- you can generally follow the imdb ratings for Anything that's above like an eight point two or an eight point three is generally you're in for a good time. We, we tend for the big episodes to like to watch them once and then take notes a second time just yeah. to really do do justice for the big ones. Yeah, and yeah, this is I I love basically everything in this episode. Yeah, it flows really well. Yeah, and it sets us up really nicely for season three. Yeah, not really much to nitpick at all. Really, it's. It's very well done. It's very well paced. Except for the, except for the fact that Jen's still here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But even that, I mean, it's quick. They're in. They're out. Like, there's not a whole lot in this episode that I think I would cut or or would say is like fluff or filler. Like, just about everything has its purpose. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to get to next week and so we can wrap up all the loose ends <laughs> on season two. Kind of put that one to bed and then move right along to season three. Getting into the real now that the show has it's really got found its, its legs. yeah it's got its legs it's got its great cast it's got its it's found its footing in almost every conceivable way really in my opinion so I think season <sighs> I think well I mean we'll, we'll get into this more in depth next week on the the recap episode but I think it's going to be I think we're still going to have some growing pains to go through for the first half of season three and then I think we're going to hit the ground running from there. But okay, yeah, that's not that's not me saying that like every single episode. No, of for show sure. From here on out is all killer, no filler. No, but for like, sure. But I, I know what you mean. Like, there's a very distinct there's a very distinct shift in kind of the look and the the tone and the just everything about the show. It, it does hit a, a groove, and we're very we're like on the cusp of that. We're so very close yeah. to it because now there's history with these people, right? Now there's like relationships that we've, have been built. We've up laid over the foundation. The two years. Now we get to build the the house. Like, yeah. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Then, thank you all very much for listening. As always, this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/SayingTheTonePodcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only five dollars a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, uh, season two, coming next week. Uh, free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and uh, two-week early access to our, all of our cast and crew interviews. 
once our stretch goals are met, you'll also get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at SayingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me spamming how much I love the new game Spirit Fairer and talking about it endlessly in our collab chat on my personal Twitter at lobob92345. Seriously, guys, check out this game. It's great. It looks really cool from what I've just watched. It's also free on uh, Xbox Game Pass, so and definitely check 30, it out. $30 on pretty much every other platform. It's worth it. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer, that's J-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play series of uh, Mass Effect Andromeda with new episodes every Friday, uh, as well as a co-op series of the Halo games on the PC uh, with Popular Court co-host Jake Terrell. You can find those videos and more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.